0: Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the Scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our heart, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Today's Scriptures from Mark 8 27 to 38. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea or Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, and what about you? What do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples. The human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed, and then after three days rise from the dead. He said this plainly, but Peter took hold of Jesus, and scolding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will. I'm, I misspoke. Why should people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one, will be ashamed of that person when he comes to the Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Be to
1: God. Every now and then, that pericope just cuts in a strange place, and the Word of God for the people of God feels hmm, a little funny. He who loses his life will find it, and he who seeks to keep his life will lose it. Not quite the note you'd think we'd start on, but I really do believe that this story is an amazing way to talk about the Exploring Jesus phase of discipleship. So if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that we've started this Find Your Path series, a way to talk about how people move through the life of faith. At Chapelwood, we say that our purpose is to help people take the next step in their faith journey with Christ. And yet, over the last year, I think the clergy have found that the number one question we get asked is, How do I find my next step? How do I know what the best thing to do to to keep me growing is going to be? Now, I will say that every person's journey of faith is unique. And nobody moves in a straight line. We all kind of have one of these bounce around back and forth. But the wisdom of the church has found that there are kind of four places that people move through as they grow as disciples. And so we've been talking about those. Uh, Last week, Pastor Peter started with the first one, discovering Jesus, that first phase where provenient grace had been active on us, where we kind of come to be aware of God and we're just beginning that relationship. And next week we're gonna talk about what it means to travel with Jesus, kind of that slightly more mature phase of discipleship. But today we're talking about exploring Jesus, what it means to grow in a relationship. You you may remember some things Peter said last week. Um, You know, those discovering Jesus are really about kind of acknowledging that there is God. But in the exploring Jesus phase, we begin to develop a relationship with God. When we're discovering Jesus' doubts and and uncertainties can really hold us back from our connection with God. The challenge for those exploring Jesus is trying to grab hold of connection in the midst of busyness. Now, y'all are all better people than I am, so I know that between work and family and chores, you always have time for worship every Sunday and Bible study and personal devotion, right? Yes, okay. You all have time for that, and you're never too busy for any of it. But for those in this phase, it can be a challenge. Those discovering Jesus, the relationship is one of curiosity, right? It's like they kind of met Jesus on the side of the road, and he's interesting to talk to, but they're not so sure he's getting in the car just yet. For people in the exploring Jesus stage, Jesus is along for the ride. They take Jesus where they're going, but he kind of works in the back seat. Maybe he's napping now and then. He's in control of the snacks. Yes? All right, just making sure you're awake this morning. The jokes don't get funnier. I'm sorry. (laughs) The central question the kind of divides that discovering from exploring is the one that we heard Jesus ask today. Who do you say that I am? Jesus, uh, in our scripture today, he asks it of the disciples, and he asks it when they're away and in a small group. You heard Peter talk last week a little bit about this Gospel of Mark that we've been reading. Um, The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. They tell the story of Jesus' life, and Mark is really the journalist of the Gospel writers. It is quick, it is dirty, it is just the facts, you can move through Mark in about 45 minutes. Um, And in fact, if we kind of think about last week, we were in chapter two and Jesus was calling disciples. Today, we're in chapter eight, doesn't sound like that far, but since we last saw disciples uh, and Jesus, Jesus has healed two people, appointed 12 apostles, told five parables, then he healed three more people. Then he went home for a visit, spoiler alert, that didn't go well. Um, You should go check it out. Uh, He's calmed a storm. He fed 5,000 people. He walked on water, healed some more people, fed 4,000 people, and lost his cousin, John the Baptist. It's been a busy six chapters. Mark moves quickly. And the disciples have been present for all of this. They have heard the sermons They have seen the miracles. In fact, they've seen more than most. They're the only ones in the boat when he walks out. They're the only ones in the boat when he calms the storm. And so it's kind of time for the pop quiz. Who do you say that I am? And being good Jewish boys, They go through the litany of possible answers. Well, you you could be John the Baptist, he's gone. Maybe you're him come back. You could be Elijah. He's supposed to come before the Messiah. Okay, who do you say that I am? And it is Peter who gets to be the star student. You are the Christ. And in that moment, I really imagine that Jesus, like, he's like that teacher that had just gotten through to the kid for the first time, and there's, like, tears in his eyes, and he's like, yes, one of them gets it. But if you've ever worked with adolescents, I used to be a youth director, I had this experience frequently, um, you know that that the space between, yes, they finally get it, and, oh, geez, (laughs) is about that long. And so it is in our text. Peter goes from, you are the Christ, to being rebuked by Jesus in a heartbeat and a half. And the struggle is that he knows who Jesus is. He's seen enough to kind of start putting the pieces together. But then Jesus starts laying out what that's going to mean. How it's gonna change their future. That there will be challenge and ridicule. There will be death and resurrection. And Peter can't quite get his heart to catch up. And so he tries to hang on to it, right? You are the Christ. Oh, death, resurrection, challenge. No, 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 no. And Jesus has to set him straight. This, I really believe, is Peter's kind of exploring Christ moment. It is the quintessential conversation for this stage of faith. Maybe some of you have had this moment in your life when you, you've finally owned the fact. That there is a God and that God wants a relationship with you and you are just getting going. But it, it feels like the more you learn, the more opportunities you have to serve and to be in Bible study and to talk with other Christians, the more you kind of find some things that make you really excited and some things that make you a little nervous. Anybody been in that place? Let's kind of talk a little bit about... Um, what that place looks like. For me, I think the best summary comes in Peter's story in this moment when when we can say that Peter really can profess with his mouth that Jesus is Christ, right? But he's not yet ready to let Christ be reflected in his life. That's the challenge in this place. We know that those who find themselves in an exploring Christ phase, they do believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They even begin to practice some spiritual disciplines, right? (coughs) Often, the one that usually comes first for a lot of people is prayer, especially prayer for guidance. Um, You know, I, I had a teacher who always said, as long as there are tests, there will be prayer in schools, yes. Um, This is the first way we learn to pray, and it's good. Generally, that'll start to build up as people kind of deepen relationship. It'll become not just about guidance or help, but about thanksgiving and about concern for others. This is the phase often where most people really begin to read scripture, both on their own and with a group. In fact, this is kind of the place that for churches looking for volunteers, this is your sweet spot, right? The deeper people are getting in relationship through this phase, the more active they will be in church. They will grow, they will come to worship more, they will do Bible study more, they will come to fellowship events more. And for this phase, more activity helps them grow. But this is the last phase where that is true. Peter will talk more about that in 2 weeks about the activity gap, but right now in exploring Jesus, church really is the spiritual coach. It is the person who is pointing you down the path, who is helping you get direction, who is generating the excitement for this new relationship. Some of the data we've been working with comes from a thing called the Reveal study. It was done by a church just north of Chicago called Willow Creek. Some of you've heard of it, some of you haven't. Um, And it's an ongoing study, but but the initial report found this, that the single largest segment in the average congregation are people in the Exploring Jesus phase. 38% average, and it can go anywhere from 30 to 60% of a congregation. That's a pretty big pool of people who find themselves in this growing relationship but are trying to catch spirituality in the midst of busyness. The good news is that as we grow in this phase of discipleship, more and more we take on that identity of a forgiven and a loved servant. We know really for the first time, that we are a beloved child of God. That anything that came before really has been put away. And really, if we're listening to Peter's story today, we start to figure out that no matter how many mistakes we make going forward, we will still be a beloved child and servant. And the best thing that the church can do for us in this phase is standby to do the coaching, to teach us to pray, to teach us to read scripture, to teach us to worship and to serve and to lead others. But there's always kind of a flip side. For any phase of discipleship that you're in, there's a moment when it is healthy and there's a moment when we're stuck. And this this Exploring Jesus is the place that most people get stuck for at least some part of their life. Next week, we'll talk about the wall and why some people like to kind of set up camp in the Exploring Jesus phase. It's a fun place to be, but, but when we get stuck, sometimes we try to do more. We get over-involved. Have you ever had that moment where you felt like you have done so much at church that you just kind of start to get burned out a little bit? That can be stuckness in this place. We get really wrapped up in the right way to serve or the right way to do things. The right doctrine becomes important because we're learning it, sometimes for the first time, sometimes again. But all of that is kind of stuff that's happening up here. And the challenge to get unstuck from exploring Jesus is for that to move from the head to the heart so that our very habits, our very way of life is submitted to Christ. And we begin to reflect Jesus to those around us. I think you see this with Peter, right? So we know that those stuck in exploring to Jesus, right thinking gets in the way of deeper relationship and their habits are not submitted to Christ. What did we see Peter do? He's known this man, he's loved this man, but as soon as Jesus starts telling him what he's gonna have to submit to, he grabs hold of Jesus and scolds him. There's some guts there. Let me just own that. Like, yeah, come with me. All right. He scalds Jesus. And Jesus has to turn around and rebuke him. Peter's in that exploring phase. He knows who Jesus is. But submitting to what is to come is still working its way out in his heart. I hope that if you're in this place today, you will really hear the great gift of being and exploring Jesus. Sometimes when we talk about phases of discipleship, we get this idea that the goal is really to get to the end as fast as possible and that that's the only thing that matters. Every phase of discipleship has its own gift, just like every phase of life has its own gift. And what we celebrate in those exploring Jesus is that we really do come to know ourselves as beloved children. We get to rest in the grace. We get to experience that sense of belonging and of relationship both with God and with one another. It's no, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the phase that a lot of people come back to. Later in life, after a a death, or when they're diagnosed with an illness, or they lose a job, a lot of people who are further on will bounce back to this exploring because they need to hear again that life-giving word, you are loved. You belong. I'm going to take care of this. The challenge, though, is to learn that that we have been extended that grace so that we might extend it to others. I told you earlier that I worked as youth director for many years. Um, Some of you in the audience were my youth and we won't talk about how long ago that was. Um, When I was at Shreveport, um, I had the opportunity to be just part of an amazing revival of a youth program. I was on a team of people Who were leading it and and over the course of a summer we saw a lot of kids go from like never having met Jesus to being passionate in worship. They would show up every week. They just couldn't wait to sing and to pray. They were caring for one another. They had this really accelerated track in their discipleship. And there was one girl, we're gonna call her Elizabeth today. Um she come from a a really tough home, and a lot of our kids, kind of upper middle class kids, but but Elizabeth, she came from a hard place. And so even just getting to know Jesus had been a big step for her. She, she was a junior in high school, so she'd been floating around that program for a while, but it wasn't until that summer that she kind of had that breakthrough and really heard Christ say, I don't care what your parents were like, I'm a good father, and I will take care of you. And she'd really kind of grown, and she'd become, over the course of three months, a big leader for us. And so we took the kids to a a weekend mission project, kind of like Faith in Action or U.M. Army, right? Um, And they had a a great worship leader who was doing amazing things, and there was this night where we did washing of the feet. I know how much you all love that activity. And our kids, our kids had had this incredible experience of passionate worship, and they were in it. And there were other youth groups there that had other value systems. And so they were talking, and they were cutting up, and they were being kids. And and Elizabeth looks at me in the midst of all this, and she's just so frustrated. And she's like, why won't they just be quiet and get it? Why won't they just know that that it's so much better if they would just engage and pay attention? That was her wall moment. I had to just sit there with her and I said, you have come so far, so fast. You have to give other people the space to come along behind you. She had to sit with that for a while. She sat with it for weeks. We talked about it a lot up until I left. She was was at the leading edge of that exploring. She was just about to cross over, and so she knew what it was to have a great relationship with Jesus, and she wanted that for her peers. She wasn't yet sure how to bring them along, how to share that faith with them. How to live the kind of example that was as graceful as the Lord she had experienced. See she was right on that edge of figuring out that when you really know who Jesus is, it starts to change who you are. Not just the love for the passionate worship, not just the things that feed your soul, the longer you are engaged in this exploring Christ phase, the closer you get to the next one, the more it starts to kind of change who you are, make you into a person who doesn't just claim Jesus in their head, but knows Jesus in their heart and wants to be Jesus to the people who haven't met him yet. I hope that if you remember this phase of discipleship in your own life that you will be on the lookout for people who are living in this place, who are growing in their relationship, who deeply want coaches and mentors to come alongside them and introduce them to the God that they know well. And if you're in this place, then I hope you'll take that little sheet that's in your bulletin home. I hope that it'll be helpful for you to to see what great next steps it might be. I told the first service that they were really gonna accuse me of having planted things um, because we know that the two things that help people grow in the exploring Jesus phase are that they start to read scripture, not just with others, but on their own, and do it regularly, and they start to tithe or at least work towards tithing. Oh, first service thought that was funny. You don't, okay. I'm sorry, sorry if we've gone from preaching to meddling. Um, And it's not about the money, it's really not. We really didn't plant Jimmy Cook here today. It's about that movement from head to heart that is submitted to the ways of Christ. It's about knowing that who Jesus is is gonna start to change who you are and how you prioritize your time and your resources. And so, hear that challenge today, wherever you are in your phase of discipleship. Pray this week on who Christ is calling you to be, where your life is going, and what you might still offer to him as you continue to find your path to his heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.